0: I'm Bia, and welcome back to Cardiac Ready for Teens. For those of you who might not know, Cardiac Ready for Teens is a place where teens can come together with other teens to learn about Spiritist teachings and topics in a way that can relate to us more and make sense to us more in today's society, as teenagers in today's society specifically. Together, we have been going through reading the Spirit's book together, question by question, word by word, and trying to really understand what is being trying is trying to be said here so we were on the question 371 that's where we left off last week and we're in the chapter talking about returning to corporeal life so we talked a lot in the beginning about disincarnating about going from the corporeal world and life so like going from earth to going to the spiritual world so now we're talking about the opposite and a way that makes sense for us of course we know there's different worlds that we go to besides earth, but just as something that's relatable to us, now we're talking about going from the spirit world back to earth. So the large chapter that we're talking about is all about this, and now the smaller section that we're going to start today is titled Mental Impairments Insanity. So we're going to be delving into more of that topic. So question 371. Is there any basis for the opinion That mentally impaired individuals have a soul of a little evolved nature. So they're saying here, what do you think about the opinion about when people say that people with mental disabilities, that they are less evolved? They're saying, what do you think about this? Is this true? Is this wrong? They're asking our opinion on this. And the spirits say, no, they have a human soul, which is frequently more intelligent than you might think and who suffers immensely from the insufficient of its means to communicate, as a mute suffers from the inability to speak. So the spirits are saying, no, this isn't true. We don't agree with this. That the human soul, it's more intelligent than you think. Just because it might not be shown on the surface, just because they don't know how to express themselves, doesn't mean that they aren't smart inside. That their spirit has a lot to say maybe, and a lot to hear, and a lot to discover, and to explore, but they're stuck with this mental disability, and they have to learn from that. But just because they have a mental disability right now, and a mental impairment now, it doesn't mean that in a previous life that they also had that. They could have been a genius. They could have been discovering things, and learning things, and doing so much in the previous life, but now this life they had to come like this to learn from something. Like we know that we all have to come to face our own trials to learn and move on. So this might just be a bump they're come, going over. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're less evolved and like this is the beginning of their life per se. Question 372. What is the aim of providence in creating unfortunate beings like the mentally impaired? So they're saying, so what? what's the goal? Why would we create these beings that are mentally impaired? What's why would God do this? What's the purpose of it? And the spirit said The spirits who dwell in such bodies are expiating past wrongs. They suffer from their constraints and from their and from the impossibility of expressing themselves because of the undeveloped or defective brains. So like they said, like we mentioned before, these spirits they're they're coming to expiate to make up for their mistakes that they did so in a previous life they made some sort of mistake that somehow this obstacle in their life is gonna help them to overcome that and to learn from that and fix what they've done wrong so that they can keep evolving then there's a second part to this question and it says then is it inaccurate to say that organs do not exercise any influence on the faculties and the spirit said we have never said that organs have no influence at all rather they exercise a great influence on the manifestation of the faculties but they themselves do not produce the faculties that is the difference a good musician will not make good music with a bad instrument but it does not mean he or she is not a good musician so what they're trying to say here is that it doesn't mean that just because Just because their organ, let's say the brain, just because their brain isn't great, isn't fully functioning, doesn't mean that the spirit doesn't have that within them. It's just the brain that's not functioning, that's not allowing the spirit to to show all these faculties that it has. And then Alan Kardec puts his own comment in and he says, It is necessary to distinguish between the normal state and the pathological state. In the normal state, mental ability may, may overcome material obstacles. However, there are cases where matter offers so much resistance that the manifestations are hindered or distorted, as is the case with mentally impairment and insanity. There are pathological cases, and in such state, the soul is not in possession of its full reasonable ability, which is why human law exempts such persons from responsibilities for their actions. So, what they're saying here is that, so they're talking about the normal state, which is saying how you can have some mental ability and you can overcome some things, but some things may be harder to do. Like, maybe you can move fine, but you can't speak. Or maybe you can speak, you have a little trouble speaking, a little trouble moving. There's certain things. So, some things you can do, some things you can't. And... Then they said there are also pathological cases, which the soul is just not in full reasoning ability. So they can't reason with themselves. And then, which this case is, you can't really judge or give fault to whatever the person is doing because they're not really having this capacity to reason, to have any common sense. But so, to sum up this question, they're basically saying that, especially talking about mental disabilities, that the brain may be, it may be distracting or preventing the soul, the spirit, from getting its thoughts out. From getting everything that it has to getting it out. The brain is kind of holding it back. It's blockading it. But just because it's blockading it doesn't mean that the spirit isn't intelligent. And that the spirit doesn't have this intelligence within them. It doesn't mean they're less evolved. Question 373. What could possibly be the merit in the existence of being who, like the mentally impaired, can do neither good nor evil, and therefore cannot progress? So they're saying, so how can someone evolve if you can't do anything good or bad? So some mentally impaired people, they can barely do anything. So you're just you're just living. You're barely doing anything. You're just getting by, just living. So you're not doing any good, but you're also not doing any anything bad. So... How can you progress? And the spirit said, it is an expiation imposed for them having abused certain faculties in a former life. It is a temporary pause. So they're saying, so this isn't a place for them to go, okay, you're going to have this test and you have to overcome it. This is a place where, this is a time where they're, ex- when we talk about an expiation, it's making up for the wrongdoing. So maybe when they were able to do so much they sat down and didn't do anything or they were mean or they treated people badly or what they were doing was for evil so now to make up for those mistakes they're going to come and when they want to do stuff they're not going to be able to because they're going to have this mental disability but when we look at the whole spiritual existence of a spirit that we know goes on forever it's just a temporary pause it's a Just a little bit, and it's just for them to learn and overcome that. So there is a purpose to it. Then there's a second part to this question, and it says, So the body of a mentally impaired person may confine a spirit who perhaps animated the body of a genius in a preceding existence? And the spirits answered, Yes, genius sometimes becomes a curse when it is abused. So what they're saying here is that, yeah, sometimes people are geniuses, but they abuse that power. They abuse that intelligence, and they make it, and they abuse it, and they do something bad with it. So now they have to learn from their mistakes. Oh, you had all this intelligence, you had all this power, you could do all this stuff, and you did the wrong thing, so now you're not going to be able to do any of that stuff. And then Alan Kardec puts his own comment in, and he says, Moral superiority does not always imply intellectual superiority, and the greatest geniuses may have much to expiate. Consequently, they often live in a present existence that is inferior when they compare to those who have already lived, a cause of great suffering. The impediments that these spirits experience when they try to express themselves are for them like chains that fetter movements of an active person one could say that the mentally mentally impaired are disabled in the brain as others are disabled in their limbs or eyes so what they're saying here what he was trying to add on to this is that when they talk about the genius and how they're abusing powers it's just because just because you're super intelligent just because you have this superiority you're a genius doesn't mean that you're more, you're morally superior. Just like if we think of an extreme example, just like Adolf Hitler. He was very, very intelligent, but obviously his morals, his morals were very low and he was not superior in morals, but he was very intelligent. So this is the kind of thing when you have power, you have intelligence, but you abuse all of it. Question 374. In the spirit state, are the mentally impaired conscious of their mental state? And the spirit said, yes, quite often. They understand that the chains hindering their developments are a trial and an expiation. So, in the spirit state, they do. They understand that, okay, I need to get over this, so this is why this is happening. They understand that part. Question 375. What is the situation of the spirit in the state of insanity? And the spirit said, When freed from the body, the spirit receives impressions directly and directly exerts its action upon matter. Once incarnated, however, it finds itself in a completely different condition and in need of acting with the help of special organs. If one part or a group of these organs is altered, the spirit's actions are interrupted. Defective eyes cause blindness. Defective ears cause deafness, etc. Now imagine that the organ presiding over the manifestation of intelligence and will is particularly or entirely damaged or modified and you will easily understand that the use of such an incomplete or disordered organ will result in an affliction that the spirit is fully aware of, but whose course it is powerless to deter. So what they're saying here, so we're talking about the situation of a spirit in a state of insanity. And they're saying that just like how if you are, if you if you have a defect in your eyes, you're blind and you can't see. Or if you have a defect in your ears, you can't hear. And all of these kind of things. If you have a defect in your leg, you might not walk. So all these things. So now think of it as a defect in the brain. And sometimes it's such a big defect. It's so disordered, so altered, that the spirit is fully aware of everything it has and all it can do. But it's just so powerless. It just can't do, do anything. Of It's like complete... The brain's like completely blocking it out. So it's just like a defect in... Your eyes causes blindness and defect in your leg. And now it's if it's a defect in a brain, if it's really big, then the spirit the spirit sees what's and the spirit has this intelligence and all this stuff, but it's being completely blocked. And then there's a second part to this question and it says, Then is there always the body and not the spirit that is dysfunctional? So is it always the body? Is it the physical body that you're in? The spirit is fine, but the body is not. Is it always that case? And the spirit said, Yes, but you not, must not lose sight of the fact that just as a spirit acts upon matter, matter reacts upon the spirit to a certain degree. Hence, a spirit may find itself momentarily controlled by the alterations of its organs, through which it manifests and receives various impressions. It may happen that, with time, and after the insanity has lasted quite a while, the repetition of the same acts end up exerting on the spirit an influence from which it will not be freed until its complete separation from every material effect. So they're saying that, yes, this it's, it's always the body that, that has this defect, that has this problem, and the spirit is intelligent, but it's being hindered, it can't show it. But it's always the body but they're saying that this doesn't mean that the body doesn't affect the spirit. That while, while it's connected, the, the material body and the spirit, while it's connected, the body, the spirit will be facing some of these effects. Kind of feeling like, okay, if I can't talk, they're kind of gonna get like flustered and they're gonna think they can't talk or if they can't think as much and they're in this state of insanity, it is gonna affect their spirit until the moment when that connection is separated. Question 376. What is the reason for insanity sometimes leading to suicide? And the Spirit said, The Spirit suffers immensely from its constraints and from the powerlessness to freely manifest itself. Thus, it seeks a way to break its ties in death. So like we were just saying how even though it's the body that has the defect and the spirit doesn't, since it's connected, the spirit is facing the effects of this. It's facing the effects of the defects. So it's being like pushed and it's feeling like it can't do anything. I can't do anything. I'm powerless. And so they know that at death, that's when the connection from this body with all the defects will be. So that's why it sometimes leads to suicide. Question 377. After death, does the spirit of a mentally impaired person continue to feel the derangements of its faculties? So he's saying. So now, after the spirit dies, does it still feel like it's restricted from thinking? Does it still have? Does it feel still feel like it's impaired, even though it's not? And the spirit said, "It may feel it for quite some time until it is completely disconnected from matter, like a person who." upon awakening, continues to feel the confusion into which sleep has immersed him or her. So they're saying that it's just like when you wake up for a dream and you're kind of confused because you kind of still feel like that's going on, but it's not, and it's a bit confusing. They're saying it's just like that. It's like they're waking up from this dream and they're kind of confused. Like, they think it's still happening, but then they see that it's not, and until it's completely disconnected it'll still be a little confused and a little impaired. Question 378. How is it possible for the impairment of the brain to react upon the spirit after death? So they're saying, so how is this possible? How can the defect in the physical body be able to affect the spirit after the body is gone? And the spirit said, it is a remembrance A weight bears down upon the spirit, and since it was not aware of everything that took place during its insanity, it requires some time to be able to understand its current state. That is why the longer insanity lasts during life, the longer the affliction and the constraint will last after death. Disconnected from the body, the spirit continues to feel the impressions of its bonds for some time thereafter so it's not that the spirit is still being physically physically restrained but it's the remembrance it's thinking it's after after knowing that you can't okay i can't do this i can't do this i can't do this i can't do this now finally you can do it it's kind of weird you kind of still remember that you can't so you so it's hard for you to just go ahead and do it so it's this remembrance of all these like rules and restrictions now it's free, but now you still feel like you have these restrictions on you. And a way that we can relate this to ourselves is that we have all these rules. All We're growing up, growing up with all these rules and rules and rules and rules. And then eventually, we're going to go off and live on our own. And technically, there aren't going to be all these rules. You can eat ice cream every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You cannot shower. You cannot make your bed. But... After having all these rules, you kind of feel like you still have to. You kind of still... There's not these rules set in place, but you have the remembrance of that. So that's the way that kind of we can understand it better in our point of view. And then the next... Now we're on to the next part in this chapter. And this part is is titled Childhood. Question 379. Is the spirit who animates the body of a child... As developed as the spirit of an adult? So, basically they're saying, so the spirit, when it's in a child, is it as developed as the spirit of an adult? And the spirit said, maybe more so if it is more evolved. Only its imperfect organs keep it from fully manifesting itself. It must act according to the instruments that it serves in. So what they're saying is sometimes even the spirit of the child is more evolved than the spirit of the adult. But the thing is that it can't fully, fully express all of its, all of its thoughts, all of its power, because it can only do as much as the body it's given. So if it's a baby, the baby can't do what a 10 year old can or what an adult can. So it, you can only see how much based on the body that it has but may the spirit could be even more evolved than that of an adult question 380 in a very young child and despite the obstacles that the imp- that the imperfection of its organs impose on its ability to freely manifest itself does the spirit think as a child or as an adult so when the spirit is in a very young child does Do they think like a child or like an adult? And the spirits answered, While a child, it is natural that the as-yet-undeveloped organ of intelligence cannot provide it with all the intuition of an adult. Its intelligence is therefore quite limited until age matures its reason. The confusion-accompanied incarnation does not cease suddenly after birth, but only dissipates gradually with the development of the organs. So what they're saying here is that when the chi- when the spirit is in the, while a child, the spirit can only do as much as the body of the child can. So if the brain is not developed to understand all these complicated thoughts, then even if the spirit knows them, it won't be able to convey them because the child can't comprehend these thoughts yet. So while a child, you kind of do still think, like a child, because that's all all you're being able to express, like we were saying with the development of the brain. The brain isn't as developed as it will be, so it doesn't have all this room to think about complicated concepts. And it's still in this confusion of returning from the spirit world. Then Alan Kardec put his own comment in, and he says, An observation supports this reason. The dreams of a child do not have the character of the dreams of an adult. Their object is almost always childish, which is an indication of the nature of the spirit's preoccupations. So they're saying that one kind of example of how we can see this is in the, is in child and adult dreams. So children, they also have, they always have these dreams that are fantasy or more, you can see more, more childish. And adults, they have more realistic Dreams and their characters of dreams are much different. So you can see that the childish dreams can go with how the spirit is thinking. So that's where we'll leave off today. But before we leave off today, I'd like to read a message from the Daily Book of Positive Quotations by Linda Pacone for today's date, August 15th. Faith. What we need is not the will to believe, but the wish to find out. Faith involves a leap of imagination. Real faith also involves a searching, a desire to find answers to life's most difficult questions. We may have faith that follows the teachings of an organized religion, or we may have faith we have acquired through our own experiences and studies. In either case, we do not betray our faith when we continue to search for meaning, rather we deepen and strengthen it. My faith sustains me and leads me on a continuous search for more knowledge. I'm Bia, and this is Cardiac Ready for Teens. Thank you all for listening.
1: Obsession. A true story, the unfolding of a very complex process of obsession, with its main roots planted deep in the mysterious soil of past incarnations, with many implications projected into the future of those involved. welcome to another episode of Obsession. Today we'll be reading and discussing chapter 5, which is entitled Spirit Help. To begin our reading and discussion today, we'd like to say a brief prayer to open the space so that the good spirits will be with us. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your model of what it is to be a good person in this world. We would like to begin our reading and discussion today remembering the good deeds you've done on earth and the way in which you taught us to use the power of our thoughts for good purposes, to make sure that our actions match with our desires, that we're always thinking about how our actions and thoughts impact others, and that we think about the ways in which we can become ever more so loving, ever more so compassionate, ever more so giving, and how we can look upon our lives on this earth as an opportunity for self growth and self discovery of ourselves as loving. Kind, compassionate, giving, and ever, ever, ever more so charitable spirits. Thank you, God. Thank you, mentors. It's so be it. Let's begin the reading of Chapter Five. Chapter Five: Spirit Help. We erroneously imagine that the actions of spirits can only be manifested by extraordinary phenomena. We would have spirits come to our aid by means of miracles, and we imagine them to be always armed with a sort of magic wand. Such is not the case. All that is done through their help being accomplished by natural means. Their intervention usually takes place without our being aware of it. Thus, for instance, they bring about the meeting of two persons who seem to have been brought together by chance. They suggest to the mind of someone the idea of going in a particular direction. They call your attention to some special point if the action of your part thus led up to, by their suggestion, unperceived by you, will bring about the result they seek to obtain. In this way, each man supposes himself to be obeying only his own impulse— And thus always preserves the freedom of his will. Spirit's book number five hundred and twenty five. Cardick's Commentary. At her birthday party, Esther had been surprised by the ruthless aggression of a rebellious earthbound entity dominated by violent hatred, who had found in her mediumistic sensibility the necessary conditions for possession. Taking her over in an incidental circumstance, the obsessor gradually consolidated his position as controller of her mental world, subjugating her completely to his will. As a spirit indebted to divine laws, Esther had built into herself the appropriate conditions for a perfect attunement with the invading entity, so contributing to aggravate the problem. In the same nursing home where she was now atoning for the errors of her past incarnations, many other patients were also victims of obsession. Their conditions were, of course, at variance with the classical view of insanity, which considers the sick person as someone who tries to evade the realities of his environment through unconscious suicide. Usually, when insanity breaks out, obsession also comes into the picture because of the link that keeps both incarnate and discarnate people connected through the records of an invisible divine ledger, where common failures and serious deaths are to be balanced by the law of cause and effect. Madness that develops as a consequence of obsession often becomes irreversible, because of the constant magnetic pressure on the victim's mental field of energy. Under the strain of such disaggregating forces, a general imbalance is developed affecting the nervous stability, the metabolism, and even the physical body itself through the disorganization of the cells which have become deteriorated in the process. Any treatment in such cases should be guided not only by academic methods of conventional medicine, but also into taking into consideration the spiritual connotations involved. In the specific case of Esther, many aggravating karmic elements were present. However, as nobody is ever abandoned by divine mercy, Rosangela, the young nurse, was to become the instrument of higher spirit beings in their attempt to help the poor girl more effectively. In spite of her use, Rosangela was a mature person. Since early childhood, she had to face many difficulties. In fighting and overcoming them, she had reached a state of inner harmony. Her mother had died when she was eight years old, leaving her to the care of her father. In a poor house in one of the many suburbs of Rio, Father and daughter fought their way through, bravely. Having a gentle and pleasant disposition, Rosangela made many friends amongst her neighbors. They took care of her while her father was out working. They sent her to a nearby school so that they could watch over her. A few years after her mother's death, her father married again. His new wife, however, disliked the girl and became her great enemy. The situation became unbearable, and the girl was forced to leave the house and work as a nursemaid for a family in Botafogo, a fashionable residential district of Rio. There she proved to be a very responsible person, and in time her dedication won her the affection of her employers, who decided to help her when they heard her story. Soon she was no longer considered as a servant, but one of the family. True Spiritus, the family that had housed her, taught her the principles of their doctrine. They sent her to night classes where she finished high school. After that, she went to a special school where she was trained as a nurse's aide. Now she was working at the hospital where Esther had been confined. When the gift of mediumship was revealed in the young nurse, she was directed to a spiritist group where she developed herself into a conscious medium, dedicating herself to spirit rescue work helping perturbed, discarnate entities to find their way in the spirit world. On meeting Esther, she felt all the elements of tragedy behind the disordered, painful exteriorization of impulses of the young patient. Rosangela sympathized with the tormented child at first sight, and from that moment on she started praying for her. Under the inspiration of her spirit guides and those of Esther's, the nurse began to approach the girl tactfully until she succeeded in calming her down with her simple presence. This way she made it possible for Esther to be taken out of the straitjacket, for the girl was constantly kept in one except only when under heavy doses of sedatives. Rosangela began to devote all her free time to Esther, although the girl did not always receive her amiably or show any signs of lucidity. However, Los Angeles vibrations were able to neutralize the obsessor's aggressiveness, for the entity could not help submitting to the nurse's moral superiority. Examining the patient's case history and obtaining other personal information through discrete inquiries, she became acquainted with the young girl's drama. Impressed by the peculiar characteristics the case presented, She decided to talk it over with the Albuquerques, the family whom she lived with, seeking advice to carry on a project she had in mind, namely to visit the girl's parents and explain to them what she thought were the real causes of the singular disease. She hoped to be able to help as the Gospel commands her to do. A telephone appointment was made with Colonel Santa Maria and his wife, On a sunny September morning, she arrived at their apartment, a place where happiness had once dwelt, but was now a sad seat of bitterness and painful memories. Rosangela's spirit friends helped her to overcome the natural timidity and embarrassment. She was not badly received, but she noticed a shadow of displeasure on her hosts' faces. She felt uncomfortable under the scrutiny of their eyes. If she had not been determined to carry on her mission, she would have retreated. But she stood firm, and under the inspiration of her guides, began, I beg your permission to say that I've developed a very warm affection towards Esther, and have volunteered to take care of her. The couple looked somewhat surprised, but said nothing. After a short pause, the nurse went on, undisturbed by their silence. I've been caring for her for a month or so now, without detecting any sensible word from her, until... "'Until?' Esther's mother asked briskly. "'Until a few days ago,' the nurse continued. Esther was extremely weak, but for a brief moment she seemed to recover her faculties and stammered. "'Mother, mother, where are you? I'm afraid, mother.' "'Oh, God!' cried the mother in distress. "'Take it easy, my dear,' said the husband, his eyes moist. "'Forgive me if I bring the tears back to your eyes,' said Rosangela. "'I look after Esther as I would a very dear sister. "'I've compared her to other patients "'and observed some aspects of the case "'that most people are unable to see "'or perhaps don't want to see. "'How is that?' interrupted the colonel. "'Please be a little bit more specific "'and tell us what's actually brought you here. "'Our daughter is everything we have "'in this unfortunate life of ours. "'You're rather too young for me to feel at ease with you. "'You look too immature and inexperienced, "'but we're listening.' Go ahead. Esther is not insane according to the regular traditional standards of medicine, sir. Yes, yes, we know that, he agreed. Her psychiatrist said that himself. No, it's not that, the nurse insisted hopefully. Listen to me first, please. I say so because I don't consider her mad. What? As I see it, sir, she proceeded calmly, guided by her spirit friends. She's obsessed by evil spirits. We don't understand you. And the illusion sounds absurd to us, the colonel said significantly. Listen to me first, she asked confidently. Death doesn't eliminate life. On the contrary, it expands it. Death is a mere change of appearance within the same reality which is life. Therefore, the death of the physical body does not end the expressions of the spirit individuality, a fact every religion proclaims. Consequently, A natural interchange between those who have crossed the border to the other side of life and those who still remain on this plane is carried on incessantly. Those who have gone into the so-called death world come back from there and manifest themselves in our physical plane, showing the same moral values and personality traits they once had and the emotional state they were in when death occurred. So they are happy. Or unhappy. They come because they are moved by a desire to help, warn or comfort the loved ones they left behind, or just to entertain a few moments' contact with them. Many times they cause disturbances of all kinds, persecuting or obsessing in a constant interchange with those who tune in with their vibrations, just because they are themselves under the pressure of their own persistent passions. But this is witchcraft, interrupted though. Colonel violently. "'In this house we're traditionally religious people,' he added pointedly. "'We abhor such vulgar practices of fetishism, "'a thing that unfortunately is affecting our society now. "'I urge you, please, to change the subject of your conversation. "'Indeed, I think we have nothing else to talk about.' "'Rosangela grew pale, while the colonel turned purple with rage. "'He had lost control of himself, forgetting his good manners. "'A sad thing.' but understandable because many people hide their savage impulses under the thin cover of social polish. "'Tell me something, miss,' he asked rudely. "'What is your religion?' "'I'm a spiritist, sir.' "'Since when has spiritism become a religion?' "'Since its very beginning.' "'You are an insolent and impertinent young lady.' to have the nerve to come into my home to harangue about black magic and superstition, as if we were those ignorant people from the inferior social classes that indulge in such psychological miseries as an escape. Such practices should be repressed by the police to begin with. Before you leave this house, please tell me one more thing. Are sorcerers and witches being allowed into hospitals as regular workers now? Darling, please don't get angry, his wife asked tactfully. I must know, he asked vehemently. Tell me, he commanded. Rosangela was perplexed. She did not expect such reaction. She kept a clear mind, though, and she thought, How often is truth ignored for convenience? How powerful is pride that it separates men according to the amount of money they possess, the position they hold in society, or their physical appearance, and yet... They all are marching towards the same direction, this transition called death, which levels up all social differences. Yes, at death our conscience will reveal us, as we are in essence, stripped of all the illusions of earthly life. Inspired, she went on. My dear sir, I came here with the honest purpose to serve, without the slightest shadow of personal interest. My religious convictions have nothing to do with my modest position at the hospital, except in what inspires my Christian attitude towards the wretched ones. It doesn't matter to me whether they're oppressed by poverty or located at the top of the illusions of a temporal material wealth. In the spiritist group I belong to, Jesus is our model, and the road we propose to follow is named charity. It goes along with faith and has the power of brotherly love. I came to this house on a peaceful mission, and I shall leave in peace, although you have actually driven me away, which I regret not for myself, for I know my limitations. It is said that a cheap pitcher very often carries the pure, fresh water that quenches the thirst, while many expensive glasses lie dead and dusty on luxurious, useless shelves. The Santa Marias listened silently obviously touched by her superior arguments. They seemed unable to stop her, and in fact they were themselves under the influence of spirit entities who had magnetized them so that they would listen. In a semi-trance state, Rosangela continued, the guide speaking through her, May your light shine, warn Christ, so that the world may know you. The light of truth shall glitter regardless of the efforts of the dark forces to stop it. The burning of witches by intolerance long ago did not silence the voices of truth. They will continue to come until the kingdom of God is definitely established on earth. After a short pause, she said, I shall go on watching over Esther. Nevermore, stormed the colonel, who had managed to break away from the friendly spirit influence. I shall see that you are not allowed to go near my daughter again. I'll report you to your superiors. Do as you please, sir. And with your permission, I'll go. Good day. It was a beautiful, warm day. A soft breeze from the sea swept gently over Atlantica Avenue. Rosangela drew in a deep breath. The fresh air helped her back into reality. Only then, by coordinating her ideas, could she evaluate the incident. She was frightened, and she started to cry. At the Santa Maria's home, she had been an excellent instrument of higher spirit friends. We're trying to help in the complex process of Esther's obsession. Well, that is a very powerful chapter, and as we are discussing what took place, I think it's important for us to go, always go back to the beginning of every chapter, where the spirit uh, author Manuel Filomena de Miranda has always selected a passage from one of Alan Cardick's books. In this particular case, he has uh, selected uh, the commentary from the Spirits Book to question number five hundred and twenty-five. In question number five hundred and twenty-five in the Spirits Books, the um, the question is: Do spirits exercise an influence over the events of our lives? And that seems very relevant to what we just what we just heard. And um, the answer to that question is. Assuredly, they do, since they give you advice. The next part of the question was, do they exercise this influence in any other way than by means of the thoughts they suggest to us? That is to say, have they any direct action on the course of earthly events? The answer is interesting. It says, yes, but their action never oversteps the laws of nature. And... Alan Kardec has a commentary in response to that question, and it's important for us to read that one more time, because this doesn't, what we're seeing in this book, and it's important to realize uh, in, in in the commentary, there's very important messages here that we need to understand. The commentary says, once again, we erroneously imagine that the action of spirits can only be manifested by extraordinary phenomena. that there's some kind of miracle or magic going on. But this is not the case. All that's done through their help being accomplished by natural means, their intervention usually takes place without us being aware of it. So what's, what's basically being said here is that the spirits are helping us, they're guiding us, Um, they might bring people together who might have been brought together by chance. They might suggest who might seem to have been brought together by chance. They might uh, suggest to the mind of someone the idea of going in a particular direction or visiting a particular store or calling someone. They might call your attention to some special point in a dialogue or discussion. Uh, They might call you to do something. The important thing is that you're led up to it by their suggestion, which may be which is unperceived by you. But it's important for us to realize that we have free will. We can decide whether to obey this impulse. We can decide whether we wish to follow those suggestions. We can become more aware of the suggestions that are going on in our lives by means of what sorts of choices we choose to make in our daily lives. Through our own free will, we have the power of tuning the frequency, so to speak, towards higher spirits, to its higher spirit realms. We have the power to be more connected to sources of help. That may actually help us in the way that Rosangela is helped in this text it's so important to realize the power that the good spirits have had have played in the ability of Rosangela to calmly in this particular case um, and in a very humble serene calm way in the face of many verbal attacks by the colonel Um, she is able to simply say do as you please sir but I also would like to tell you about um, you know the the fact or the the importance um, of my uh, beliefs that that through spiritism I have grown to understand and be inspired uh, by a Christian attitude And she explains in the face of attacks by uh, Colonel Santa Maria, the anger that he had towards finding out that she was a spiritist. um, She talks about how Jesus is her model or our model and that the road we propose to follow is named charity. It has the power of brotherly love. I came to this house on a peaceful mission and I shall leave in peace although you have actually driven me away, which I regret, not for myself, for I know my limitations. It is said that a cheap pitcher often carries the pure fresh water that quenches the thirst, while many expensive glasses lie dead and dusty on luxurious, useless shelves. And you can see here how the Santa Maria is after the comments that Rosangela made, which, as we look back at that, we can realize how much help she was receiving from the higher spirits there, in the suggestions that were being made to her, almost whispering to her how to handle the situation. You can see here in response, despite all the anger that the Colonel had, and all the worries that the Colonel's wife had, the Santa Maria's listened silently, obviously touched by her superior arguments. They seemed unable to stop her, and in fact, they were themselves under the influence of spirit entities who had magnetized them, so they would listen. So you see here, Rosangela was able to bring in the good spirits, not only to help her in communicating with the Santa Marias, but also to help um, with the Santa Marias, even being able to listen to her. So there's several questions that may come into mind here. Um, since we know that spirits may suggest particular directions to us, they may call our attentions to specific points, they may help us in, in ways we can't even imagine throughout the day guiding us towards particular actions or suggestions or in, in saying certain things, we might ask Through your actions, through what you're doing in your life, what kind of spirits are you attracting? Remember that spirits suggest and point you to things, and it could be good spirits, it could be not-so-good spirits. And so you need to think about your own life, think about the model of Jesus, think about how your actions impact you and those around you. On both the incarnate and discarnate planes, they can spirits can suggest and point you to things, but it's important to realize that we do the actions. Rosangela is doing charitable work at the hospital. She's connecting her own spiritist philosophy, her spiritist understanding of of life, and she has connected that to a mission to work in the psychiatric hospital. It's important to realize that the good spirits are pointing, suggesting things to her, asking her to do things, but it's important to realize that you need to do the actions. You need to be the one who is acting and responding to that suggestions. You have the free will to take the suggestions, good or bad or not. So let's all reflect upon our actions and how they may impact us in in and impact the way that we're uh that what impact not only um ourselves and in terms of how we relate to other people but also how we relate to the spirit realm there's a couple other things that rosangela's story teaches us about spirit influence that i think are important to point out one of them is that after rosangela leaves the santa maria's home and goes out into the street she breaks down and cries and it's interesting to think about why that could have happened Um, perhaps when she's out in the street she's not as maybe is easily protected by the good spirits it's hard to say but the important thing to realize here is that the reality of what just happened to her is very sad and um, she may have just kind of experienced the cold reality of the lack of support that she was receiving from the Santa Maria's for the, the type of good work that she feels that she's doing. Um, but we do notice how much the good spirits are helping, S, uh, excuse me, um, Rosangela in communicating with the Santa Maria's. And so we can see here that um, their influence is going to continue to help, they're gonna to continue to help guide her in, and it's possible that, you know, she just needs to feel her feelings, to feel the sadness of um, the situation. Uh, and finally, uh, I think it's also important to point out the the other side of the coin. We talked a lot about Rosangela, but we haven't talked much about Colonel Santa Maria and his wife. How much, once again, the pride of the colonel uh, and the, his... Steadfast belief that he thought every, that he knew everything, everything that he knew everything was right. His strict religious beliefs that are blinding him from being able to see the charity that um, Rosangela um, and uh, the charity of Rosangela and the amount of compassion she has for uh, his daughter. It's very sad to see him so angry at her, and yet um, and how much those reactions of pride uh, surprised Rosangela and surprised even the reader um, with the amount of, of viciousness that, that, that's there. And you, you have to wonder, in the chapter called Spirit Help, to what degree we may be also thinking about the fact here that Colonel Santa Maria is also being influenced by spirits, in this case, not-so-good spirits, to make the decision to lash out at Rosangela, of course, he followed their suggestions, and he had free will to do that. But the reality is that Colonel Santa Maria is not influenced by the same, to the same extent, by the good spirits as um, as Rosangela is. Although he was influenced by their, by them, when he was listening to Rosangela. Uh, very intently despite having been angry and another important message is when we're doing charitable work it's a lesson we can learn from Los Angeles experience when we're doing charitable work we can't always expect even if we're doing the right quote unquote right thing we're following the playbook in terms of doing things charitably um, the reality is we can't always help easily Uh, but Los Angeles remember Rosangelo when you're doing charity and and you feel as if that your charitable action is not being um, reciprocated by those who are receiving the charity or the family that is involved with the charity, remember that even though we can't always help easily, the good spirits are there behind us, guiding in ways that we can't even fully understand. And it definitely happened here. And so it's important to remember this incident which can help guide us in, in, a, in the face of sometimes difficult circumstances where we could say, you know, no one seems to be acknowledging or responding positively to my charitable actions and you want to give up. Remember Rosangela. Uh, it's an important lesson we can learn from her. So until next time, when we come back for another uh, chapter of Obsession, Remember the importance of charitable actions and reflect upon the experience of Rosangela and how we can learn from her.